Welcome to the Minimum Viable Podcast, a project of the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum. Our mission is to inspire, connect, and empower people in order to promote a culture of innovation in the U.S. national security community. You can learn more about DEF and get involved at DEF.org. That's D-E-F dot O-R-G. We look forward to your ideas and are excited to connect you with other doers working on hard problems. So, hey, guys, I want to welcome you to this uh, conversation we're about to have here, linking up to the podcast that's going to be called The Masked Innovator. Uh, this is a different idea for the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum as a format that we're going to try for our future podcasting, where we focus on the good conversation that can be had and not necessarily selling ourselves or who we come from, uh, the organizations we're with. So the ground rules uh, are that we're going to use first names. We're all well acquainted. We've, we've known each other for a little bit now. Uh, no last names, no talking about the organization you're with. Um, and then at the end, I'll cue us in and we'll be able to do that. So off the jump, just want to go ahead and say that we have myself, Mike, we have Rich, and we have Jer here today for this conversation uh, between the, the innovators. So uh, real quick, because we're doing this inside of DEF, I wanted to ask the simple question, starting with Rich. Uh, quickly, what is deaf to you? I think, you know, if you think about what the word uh, entrepreneur actually means, it means the bearer of risk. And when you think about, you know, innovators in the military, um, there is heavy overlap between entrepreneurship in the private sector and entrepreneur and entrepreneurship in the military. And I think deaf really kind of creates a forum that allows people um, across different branches of the military and at different pay grades and even overlapping with industry to come together in one place and understand what it's like to bear that risk. What, uh, stretching onto that thread a little bit there, what, what kind of risks are you talking about? What, what is the risk? Sure. So, um, I mean, if you go through the history of innovation and go back and you think about Rickover, for example, and the way in which he was treated, um, you know, the way the Navy treated him, they put him in a bathroom as his office and like they treated him pretty horribly for a long time. Uh, if you think back to uh, Sims, for example, Sims was also uh, just absolutely humiliated by the gunnery board. Or you even think to John Boyd, John Boyd was court-martialed and made a pariah by the Air Force. So people that kind of, you know, lean on the forward edge of the work that they do in the military um, have a tendency to, you know, to be targeted by the slings and arrows of the bureaucracy. Um, and the nail that kind of sticks up a little odd uh, tends to get beaten down. Um, so like I said, DEF provides a forum uh, and a place where innovators from across the, the enterprise and across industry can meet together and um, back each other up. And you can, you can get these Medici's and you can get this support. And it's, it's a, a forum that allows people to work together and you know, have a shared common experience of what it's like. Because if you think about the diffusion of innovation, innovators only really make up, you know, re really make up about one to 3% of the population. So there's not a lot of them out there. Um, so when they pair up, it's really important that they establish those relationships. Nice. What about you, Jer? Yeah, I was trying to think of, uh, you know, what the, what the types of risk are that 
people normally think about. And I was recently reflecting on like uh, organizational constructs, like people, processes, and technology. I think that's like uh, Harvard's kind of go-to. I don't know if it was Christensen or who, but um, you know, thinking about okay, if if it's the people that we're talking about, we're talking about entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs. Um, what are the the interfaces where that risk is being taken? Because I think a lot of times in the military we talk about risk, and it's and it's very much too mission. Um, but I was actually I was reading a uh, an article or a, I guess a journal article earlier today from uh, a friend who was talking about moral injury um, to service members coming out of you know twenty years of, of CP and. Uh, counterinsurgency and all of this stuff, um, and so it was. It was interesting to think about. Okay, where is the risk to individuals versus the risk to mission? And then you hear a lot of discussion about bureaucracy and and you know that process oriented side, right? And I think that the the government institutions are very often uh, averse to there being risk to process. Um, so it's it's interesting because I'm I'm trying to hang stuff on these different pieces and figure out how much of what I've experienced as part of the deaf community is tied to each of those. Um, because I think it's really easy to talk about uh, entrepreneurship or innovation, right? And we use it in this really specific way, but then we we use a very, very broad word. And I think sometimes it's like really challenging. I'm, I'd be curious as to either of your thoughts on that. Just wanted to say, you know, adding into the whole risk factor, I've thought about that a lot lately. You know, all of us come from a military background. Quite a lot of people with DEF and the defense industrial base really do, um, you know, which <laughs> makes a lot of sense. But, you know, it, it, for a lot of us, we we accepted risk. The day we joined the military, we accepted the risk that we're, we may not see our friends, our family. Um, so I think that physical risk, risk to ourselves, um, is something that's easy to do. It's very easy to see a problem in front of you. Uh, when you're in the military and say, ah, you know, I could get hurt doing that. Okay, no problem. Um, but the risk we face with innovation isn't that day-to-day -day risk that you see in the service that's so easy to um, to decide whether you're going to do or not. The risk there is to your career. It's to everything moving afterwards. It's to everything forward. Um, you know, you, you mess with the wrong system, you mess with the wrong people, um, and there, there goes everything you thought. Risking your future is something that so many people are adverse to, and right, I think rightfully so in this environment, that collecting people inside of a construct like DEF, um, Naval Constellation, anything that we've seen pop up in the last few years is so vital because those are the people that are willing to really sacrifice those things and to get that mission to make the change and that's where i like uh, i see deaf having that play is it is a safe space of like-minded folks whether you come from industry or academia academia or the military background deaf is accepting for your ideas your thoughts and safe conversation yeah i think it's absolutely true um you know I, I can't remember where I heard this quote. There was a quote that someone said, you know, a lot of us are willing to risk our lives, but how many of us are willing to risk our careers? Um, and <laughs> yeah. I think, Perfect. yeah. And I, and I think um, when you think about being an innovator, um, there, there's a balance there. Like, yes, you risk your career, 
but you risk your career in a way that the reward is also amazing. You know, so in in the case of some of the experiences that I've seen with with innovators, they've risen to you know kind of incredible opportunities that would never been afforded to them had they not been willing to bear that risk. And and it's like it's like anything else. Like when you it isn't a linear uh, growth as an innovator. It's almost like an exponential curve. So it it seems like it's not really doing anything, and like you're just kind of underneath the line, and then suddenly it kicks. Um, and you uh, you change state and kind of like break free from the bounds of what a normal career trajectory would be, um, and that's uh, it's a blessing and a little bit of a curse at the same time. I would think. You know, it's easy oh, enough for for us to sit here and talk about innovation, and that's you know, Jerry and I were talking about this previously that that buzzword that word means different things to different people, and oftentimes it's used. Uh, quite the opposite of what it what it should be. People who are saying their program is innovative, it's still a program within a program. <laughs> you know, is it, is it true innovation, or are you just doing something new? Where where do you both think you would be if you had never been wrapped up in anything that you consider innovation? If you'd take a thought process and go, where would you be with your career, with your personal? What has innovation cost you, or where has where would you be without it? I think I'll let Jer go first. Yeah, I was going to say my my answer is probably a lot shorter than Richard, but um, you know, I think for me, it's it's mostly brought opportunities, right? That the costs haven't necessarily been um, it's it's been those costs that you pay when you're learning and growing, right? So they they have a way of cycling back, right? But you don't necessarily know how they're going to pay out, right? So you know, there are investments that I made a few years ago that I'm just starting to now see how I can kind of reseed them into projects that I'm working on. And they're not necessarily linear, which is maybe more of a mindset. Um, but I, I also haven't necessarily, you know, made uh, being an innovator part of my, uh, you know, military profession in the way that some folks have. Um, and so that probably looks a little bit different, right? A lot of my costs are personal time, right, investment, um, and, and things uh, beyond the scope of what I'm doing at work. Um, and, you know, I think that that is definitely a question that I, a lot of folks that I've seen have had to kind of struggle with is, hey, what is the balance that I want to be able to have as I look at the opportunities that I see and, and how much energy should, should I be spending uh, in these different areas? Do I feel like it's at a good balance or, you know, am I oversubscribed in too many different areas and, you know, starting to become my own version of, you know, innovation theater or whatever, where I'm just becoming the hype machine, right, but not actively getting anything done. Uh, I think that's a really easy trap to fall into. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of people do that. Um, where I would be, I would say is, I'd say there's a 50% chance I would have gotten out of the Navy after about probably eight years. Um, I probably, yeah, I wouldn't have probably, probably wouldn't have stuck around the Navy. Had I did stick around the Navy, um, I'd probably be a master chief or a senior chief somewhere. Um, a lot of my, uh, a lot of my proteges and friends are now senior chiefs and master chiefs, or they went the commissioning route and they're lieutenants and working on lieutenant commander now. Um, actually, that's one thing I thought about the other day is like, there's not a single protege of mine that doesn't like outrank me now that I know of. And so at least from the early parts of my career, 
um, which I think is pretty amazing. Watching them all make chief and watching them all pick up commissioning programs is pretty awesome. But you know, that also means that's really speaks well of you that the people that were working for you that, you, you know, I knew you back in this time all, all those years ago as is. And I can say that, you know, the, when the people under you advance and succeed, it, it more than anything showcases how good you were of a leader. Either you gave them the opportunities they needed to do that, or you directly taught them, um, which, you know, as I said before, just speaks volumes for you. I can't tell you how many of the people that influenced my career over the years um, stayed where they were. They provided the cover I needed to grow, whether it be time or overhead or just somebody to say, no, let let him do that um, at the cost of sometimes their own uh, careers or time. They, putting the Putting the emphasis on those under you and around you and foregoing the self really goes back to what we were saying earlier, where I think it's, we're, we're just bred to do it, to sacrifice yourself, your best interest for others just is, is a very easy choice for those who are in this environment. So besides the, the, the word innovation, what, what other buzzwords get to you in this? Where, where do you think we're using the wrong terms? What, what do you hear in day-to-day associated military life that are just almost cringy when you hear them uh, ai <laughs> how so is it the use of ai people what people think so, of as ai I'll, I'll put it like this like a lot of the things that you know and i i spent spent time at different organizations that had some overlap with it so i've seen kind of like what you know ai is um and uh what i've noticed is that um a lot of it is powerpoint AI. Um, so it's not real AI. Uh, they just call it that. Or like the way in which maybe they use machine learning or something like that is like super, super, super narrowly scoped um, or just really sort of an obsolete approach or something like that. Um, I mean, if you want to see what real AI looks like, uh, look at like what chat GPT and GPT, GPT-4 now are using. Um, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, and the you know, the way in which that has kind of exploded into existence, um, you know, for a lot of people who weren't tracking it almost seemingly out of nowhere, um, going back, I guess, two years ago, um, I, I, I started talking about the, what open AI was doing in, in some of the, the circles that I was in. Um, and there was kind of a disbelief of how it could be used. And now we're seeing, uh, the private sector accelerating so quickly that um, I think that the military really needs to like step back, assess how we can leverage this in everything we do and lean hard into uh, powerful tools like, you know, like GPT-4 and stuff like that as we go forward. Um, that's just my, my opinion is that like when we say AI, uh, a lot of the AI is not really AI. It's PowerPoint AI. Do you do you think that's even possible um, without like having a five-year plan out to utilize something like that where we're in an environment where they've been talking about, you know, GovCloud and how many things can use GovCloud? I've been, I've been on the receiving end of these conversations where we have so many processes and so many programs that we could utilize in my field if we had had access to it. But 
the reality is, is when you go down those pipelines, it, there's still so many administrative and roadblocks to doing anything new with cybersecurity or the digital environment. Um, I don't think, I, I don't even know personally if it would be possible. Do you, do you think it is? Oh yeah. Uh, so I'll give you an example. So um, you know, when they stood up uh, CVR teams uh, during COVID, Absolutely. think about how quickly, quickly that was stood up. Think about how effective it was. Think about the scale of that operation. Um, now, imagine instead we were in a situation where, let's say, an adversary starts using something like that, um, using it for battle planning or something like that, right? Um, we have basically, I mean, the, the, the speed at which that some of that stuff will operate and the, the uh, intellectual ability of those tools going forward um, are we're getting to a point where it's it's approaching beyond human capabilities and so once we internalize that um a lot of the barriers will either be stripped away because we're not in the business of i'm in the military we're not in the business of falling behind we're not in the business of being slower um when we i mean right now because we're the five thousand pound gorilla on the block um we can get away with it a little bit but the reality is we're in a time of global power competition, and um, it's only a matter of time before our adversaries um, start to leverage tools that will allow them to get a, um, you know, kind of a mismatch with us. And a tool like ChatGPT, uh, you know, in the right environment, fed the right information could be incredibly powerful. Yeah, instantaneous decision making, it's... It's interesting, you know that that there's a video out there that I've loved watching. I, I've seen it so many times. For all the, all the ones that are in the uh, short videos that are in the internet, I love the one where they talk about uh, the Japanese infrastructure and they used a mold uh, or mold or a fungus, and they they let it organically grow and they used that um, that growth to map the best possible way to create the uh, the subway infrastructure, you know, and you 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 take that. Be beyond that context, what can you do um, with these tools and machine learning? Um, I, I just, I don't know. I don't even know where to where to go down and dive that trail. I, I could see it having immense impacts to almost everything that we do. Um, you know, think about in our background how many, how much paperwork we had to do that was that could have been automated. Everybody knew what it was. You had to look up the pub, look up the process. Um, but so many of those manual data entry things could, as we were saying, could be automated and save countless thousands of hours across the fleet with one tiny little implementation and usage. Yeah, I think I saw something, Packy Hill posted something or fo followed something that Mike Kane had posted on LinkedIn about uh, the, uh, the rollout. I can't remember what Microsoft's calling it, but it's like side sidecar <laughs> I remember, can't remember what it is now but essentially right the, the inclusion of all of the uh new generative uh tools to help with things like document creation right or powerpoint slides or you know even applications for team meetings and all of these different things where it's like hey just you know take that out how how quick would that make things uh it, it was interesting um i, I had a thought earlier um, kind of zooming back out from the specific technology focus, but thinking about uh, communities and risk, 
Um, and, you know, uh, so this whole like Silicon Valley bank and, you know, VC world, dual use tech investment, right? There's been a lot of energy uh, discussion around that over the course of the last couple of weeks being, you know, mid-March 2023. Um, and it made me think about risk sharing in the context of a community. And I'm curious what either of y'all think in terms of like, have communities that you've been involved in, uh, death maybe being one, maybe others that are formal or informal, have they, have they helped with risk sharing in some way for those things either you wanted to pursue or you helped somebody else pursue? I'll let you go first, Mike. I, man, I can tell you positively, uh, yes. <laughs> so, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in a field where we're doing something that's not necessarily new to the world, but new to the construct of the, the military and the DOD. And to do something new that's never been done before um, is just daunting, to be honest with you. There aren't policies and procedures in place to do the things you need to do, so you have to make it up. Um, and I've been very fortunate in that the group that I've been with these past few years, um, even though we've seen several iterations of the same group, has always been very, very capable and definitely conscientious of those people trying to do things in a new way. So they're accepting of pushing timelines, um, have been accepting of failure. And I think that is critical to any anybody in this space as being uh, having that acceptance that people can fail, they're trying. Um, you normally the military and the DOD doesn't leave room for that. There is no failure because you're usually following a cookie cutter uh, frame for whatever you're doing. But uh, yeah, I can say with my group, with my organization, um, I've been I've been fortunate these last few years that I think they provide the infrastructure for for innovation to succeed. Yeah, I would say one of the best things about um, you know having these these groups is that. There's a lot that you don't necessarily know you don't know. Um, and so having a, a coalition, um, like even the two of you guys, um, allows someone who's trying to do innovative things to just simply ask questions. So one thing I would do a lot is I'd go on the Naval Constellation, for example, and I would just go to, I think what used to be, I think it's called Ask Away now, but it used to be called Seeking Ideas. Um, and I would just ask a question. I go at channel and ask a question. And that would notify what 1500 people or something like that. Um, and I could get an answer on almost any subject um, related to the work that I was doing relatively quickly. Um, and that was wickedly powerful. So that allowed me to, you know, in the work that I was doing to almost you know, always be able to know at least a good idea who's doing what. Um, is this already being done? Uh, what direction do I need to take? Who do I need to talk to, et cetera? And there's no way that without a coalition, any individual person is omniscient enough to know all that. Yeah, that's, you know, I was recently thinking about just, um, you know, the value of those different networks, right? Where you pick them up along the way, where they kind of fall off depending on, you know, just changes over time. Um, and, you know, trying to think about how to be uh, purposeful and expanding your network, right? Expanding the the access or diversity or concepts that you have feeding in. Uh, I've been reading uh, 
a series of books that uh, I, I heard about on a podcast someone else had recommended, uh, David Graber, um, that the original book was on a data science podcast, and it's called Bullshit Jobs, which I haven't read the book yet. I started to read a bunch of other ones. Turns out, um, you know, he's probably not someone I would have originally picked up uh, as an anarchist. That's kind of like not your typical uh, military professional development, but it's been really interesting to kind of hear all of these concepts around debt and uh, he had a whole book that's talking about the Occupy movement and a bunch of different things that actually have a lot more similarity to what I've seen in uh, these kind of, uh, you know, innovation focused outside the box, different approaches. Uh, I'm curious how either of you have, uh, you know, purposefully or accidentally built those uh, interesting links between different groups or if, if you've noticed that contribute to your ability to uh, help shape change uh, or positive disruption or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I, I think one thing that's kind of interesting and like looping this back to the AI thing, um, you know, kind of over time, whether we're talking about the invention of the cotton gen, we're talking about the adoption of um, manufacturing at scale, or, uh, additive manufacturing, whatever it is, right? Um, advent of the computer, advent of the internet, um, and now the uh, adoption of AI, what you find over time is that um, jobs that are sort of more medial, um, just showing up, sitting at a desk, you know, generating a report, leaving, you know, the same administrative jobs or the same sort of day, day in, day out jobs, a lot of those jobs over the next, I would say over the next 10 to 20 years, um, will be begin to become replaced by automation and um, artif artificial intelligence or, or, and robotics. So what that brings up is the fact that um, people um, are still a resource. So there will be new opportunities for people in ways that we don't necessarily even understand at this point. And the one out of, I think throughout history, the one role that has always been always been of value is the role of the innovator. Um, people who see the world a little differently, people who are willing to challenge the status quo and always kind of stay ahead of the curve instead of being a laggard or part of the part of the majority. Um, regardless of instance, they're able to recreate themselves and they're always able to keep moving ahead of whatever's occurring in the world around them and letting instead of letting those things occur to them. So I think we're at a point right now, we're at a tipping point, at least with AI, um, that, you know, that people really are beginning to kind of demonstrate the value of innovators. You know, I think um, from my end, answering, answering your question there, Jer, um, interesting enough, I think that that open concept, connecting with people, finding your finding your way in the mix and not being afraid to ask questions uh, really and that setup that we've talked about before uh, came from naval constellation def uh, those environments that we're, we've been occupying for some time now uh, really laid the foundation for who I became in a uh, in a work environment now um, you know a few years ago somebody brought me into both these organizations right about the same time and said you'll do you'll do good here. And I learned that you could reach out to, uh, you know, the undersecretary of the Navy in a chat. 
you could ask questions of um, the, the, the Navy's advisor for this or that. And you didn't have to be afraid. You didn't have to be afraid of your chain of command or repercussions. If you're doing things in a good way and just trying to get answers, don't be afraid. And that, you know, it's been almost 10 years now. And a lot of what I do, even in my day job, is getting questions from other um, from other people in the organization for what I do for uh, different syscoms and even different uh, branches of the military that'll hear about some of the stuff I'm doing and say, hey, do you know this? And it's, it's really all come down to connecting people and staying connected to people for me to get the job done. I've had, um, you know, people reach out to other organizations on a particular topic that I know quite well. And through trickle down, uh, going to through four different organizations earlier this year, uh, in this case, it was with somebody in the Air Force. Um, I, they got connected with me and I instantly was able to turn them on to, yeah, this is the person you need to know to do that. Um, so it's, it's really, for me, been an incredible experience. And I think it, it's defined who I've become uh, operating inside of these organizations and not having the fear that, that really is bred into you in the military to ask questions or talk to people that are outside of your uh, immediate chain of command. So how do, we, how do we unmask? Have we figured that out yet? Well, I think as far as the unmask, we can just do in around the room. Given uh, normally, I, I'd like to get to a place with this where we start taking guesses of the background, but all of us know each other real well. So why don't you give it a start, Rich? Why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you do, uh, give a thirty-minute, thirty-second elevator pitch? Yeah. So uh, Rich Walsh, uh, former retired a avionics technician, E six. I was uh, on the CNO's Rapid Innovation Cell um, on the Naval Innovation Advisory Council. Um, spent time at the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center for a little while, Digital Warfare Office, uh, plank owner there, and a plank owner at um, OpNav N7, uh, specifically uh, Strategic Warfighting Innovation Cell. And I am currently now um, a naval lead at BMMT Partners. At BMT, are you, that's relatively new for you. Are you continuing down the path with AI and innovation and all that jazz? It's a it's a really interesting role. Um, I'm kind of doing a futures, so figuring out kind of opportunities that the Navy could be working on and uh, connecting people up and kind of exploring uh, a new role that is is pretty powerful at BMT. I'm really having an amazing time, and I'm really blessed to be on such a great team. Good for you. What about you, Jer? Yeah, that's awesome. I'm really excited for you, Rich. Um, yeah, uh, Jerry McCoy, uh, active Air Force, and then do a bunch of volunteer stuff. So I work for Cybercom and Transcom in my day job, and then uh, get to help people connect. I, th I think that's been the most fun I've had, like over the course of the last five years, randomly uh, getting a, getting an opportunity to interact with people who are just super inspiring. I absolutely love that. And then uh, recently started looking at um, sort of applying my interest in the, the stuff behind AI, the, the data and data science, the looking at innovation and national security. So I've been working on a, a project related to that uh, as well, which is a lot of fun. Nice. How many more uh, years do you have in, Jer? Uh, if I go to retirement, which I, I I always keep the option open every PCS cycle, though if my, uh, my spouse is growing more and more uh, concerned about getting out too early, but uh, only about another four or five years. 
Excellent. Good for you, pal. And then lastly, uh, Mike Picota. I was an AT1, just like Rich. That's where we met all those years ago, uh, applying for the same innovation council to which, he, he, I mean, Rich just took that role and nailed it. Everything they did uh, was incredible. Uh, but since then, right about the same time, I've been supporting Navier, uh, the Syscom for the Navy doing uh, aviation engineering in the advancement of additive manufacturing as uh, I, both in the military until I separated in 2018 now. And since then as a contract support. So been pretty blessed on that aspect. But with that, we have our innovators unmasked, if you will. For both of you, I believe you do have accounts inside of DEF. If anybody's interested in asking any questions and following up on any of the conversations or topics we've had here, can be found in the DEF Slack. Uh, don't forget, it is totally free to participate with the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum. Uh, sign up online and you gain access to thousands of other innovators in this space, their knowledge, and as Rich was saying earlier, uh, direct connection to ask questions and a safe place to do so. So don't forget to sign up if you know if you want to learn more and talk to some of the great people and don't be afraid. But with that, I really want to uh, thank the both of you for being here today and being our experimental crew for the Mast Innovator. Uh, hopefully we'll be hearing more for, from both of you soon in the spaces and we'll talk soon. Take care, it's guys. An honor. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We love ideas and feedback, so feel free to send your thoughts to hello at def.org. For more great content and to stay in the loop about community events and activities, follow us on social media and subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Everyone plays a part in building the innovative national security culture we want to see. To find where you fit, just go to def.org slash join. That's def.org slash join.